Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Steven. I'm a powerlifter, strength coach. I run Strength Guild, a bunch of other things. Got to meet one week from today. Nice. Ooh, meet in a week. Yeah, meet in a week. <laughs> Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, associate professor of the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet CERT, and uh, still in Minnesota, where it's actually been warm. And today we're joined by Sam Pogue. Say hi, Sam. Hi, everybody. for having me on, team. Super, uh, super pumped to be here and share some time. Thank you. All righty. Uh, everybody, we have just one little piece of news. Strength and muscle sport news. Um, it's sort of a recurring theme over the last year or two. I don't know if we predicted this, uh, Mike, uh, in recent, you know, we do our predictions at the beginning of some years. I don't, we don't always do it, I guess if the mood strikes, but this is just something that I wonder if this is going to go bad. <laughs> so mm. I'm going to, maybe I shouldn't poison your, you guys with that preference, but here, this is from Reuters. Beyond Meat clinches coveted deal with McDonald's and Yum Brands. Okay, so this mm-hmm. is by Richa Nadu, N-A-I-D-U, uh, through Chicago. Plant-based meat maker Beyond Meat said on Thursday it signed a multi-year supply deal with McDonald's and also Taco Bell's owner Yum Brands, uh, underscoring consumers' appetite for vegetable-based alternatives and Beyond Meat's leading position. A few details here. It says, uh, the company's shares lost early gains as the company reported sales and a loss that widely missed analyst expectations for the second quarter in a row. Uh, The plant-based meat industry has developed a frenzied following in recent years, and companies like Beyond Meat and its rival Impossible Foods are among the top players. Uh, Beyond Meat said its three-year global deal with McDonald's would make it the world's biggest restaurant chain's preferred supplier for the patty. Uh, it says the maker of Beyond Burger also supplies Starbucks, Denny's, and Dunkin' brands. Hmm. The reason I think this could be relevant is because we keep getting mails and I keep getting news, especially through the Institute of Food Technologists, that plant-based meats – quote, unquote, meats are, they're just all the rage. You know, they're using the word frenzied in here. Um, 
And so when McDonald's rolls this out, I guess my concern is, well, you know, I don't think the average consumer understands that plant-based proteins are not as high in quality as animal-based proteins. That's painting with a broad brush, but that's a general truth. Um, they're missing one or more essential amino acids, you know, et cetera. So I'm wondering if people are going to flock to these. McDonald's, potentially, I don't know they're going to do this, but you would assume they're going to make it delicious and processed and probably <laughs> salty and goopy or whatever. And people are going to be buying it thinking it's a health food when, in fact, it could nutritionally be worse than the beef, right, mm -hmm. from a quality perspective, like lean muscle tissue maintenance and and that sort of thing. Now, I'm all about the the vegetarian approach. If you want to limit animal suffering and things like that, this is my personal bias, obviously, I'm telling you guys. But I'm behind that. But nutritionally, I, I think people are going to start buying this stuff as if it were a healthier alternative. And even from a sustainability and global perspective, Mike, you and I have both, both brought this up over the years um, sometimes rotating farmland between livestock and crops is actually better and more sustainable than just crops all the time. Oh, yeah. Right? So even from a um, sustainability perspective, I'm not sure this is a, a clear issue. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Mike, about, you know, if McDonald's is rolling this stuff out, do you think it'll be a, like a niche burger? Do you think people are going to flock to it thinking it's a healthier or more sustainable alternative uh, what are your thoughts on it yeah i would doesn't uh burger king have some impossible burger that is sort of a uh, plant substitute i think i don't know i'd be interested to see if they have any actual data on it but i'm sure mcdonald's is probably hedging their bets too they don't want to be left out in the cold without other options if this really mm -hmm. catches on but i yeah, like you said, Lonnie, I can't imagine that this is going to be more healthy. I'd be super interested in what type of oil they use in it. It's probably highly processed, probably has to be super stable, sending you back to these oils that have been processed to hell and back, which is not going to be good. I just had these flashbacks to like the whole margarine era and trans fats and mm -hmm. It's amazing to me that someone could ever look at margarine and go, oh, this must be better. It just looks like something you would spackle your walls with. <laughs> so or just I don't know. I just have this bad feeling that it's going down that same pathway. And I, I think if you're arguing from an ethical standpoint, that makes sense to me. But then it gets more complicated from what is the actual source that you're using it is from soybeans which are you know mono agriculture type thing and what are the downsides of doing that and yeah it gets messier than what i think most people want they probably want the the good feeling of oh i'm eating something that's healthy for me and healthy for the planet and eh, maybe both of those are debatable if you're mm -hmm. talking about the latest burger from mcdonald's yeah. <laughs> now you know nutritionally because that's my biggest interest i suppose yeah. is who knows maybe uh, the way that they present it with other food products or maybe i, I doubt they're going to be spiking it with the the low or missing amino acids, you know, to make it I'd more it's unlikely. Never Probably just due to sheer cost. Right, exactly. Unlikely. But, you know, sometimes with just regular old protein and food combining techniques, you know, you present it with some, um, on a bun and the bun's got something in it that maybe the plant is missing, you know, the whole grains and beans 
uh, complimentary thing. But yeah, I don't know. When I read that, I just this is coming across as woohoo kind of, and you know, frenzied uh, uh, food fad. It seems to be the new thing. You know, we, we've gone through. Oh my god! Just since we've done the podcast, how many things have come and gone? You know the. The gluten thing, and there's always going to be the, the hardcore, you know, the diehards that stick with something. But um, people avoid this, and then they avoid that, or they embrace this or embrace that. And I'm, yeah, you're right, Mike. If the food technology industry has taught us anything, is they can make some serious boo boos. They do a lot of good, yeah. but you mm-hmm. know, yeah, you can think of several things. I think. Uh, that have been rolled out. We, I, I wrote an article once called Franken Foods, and it was about these mistakes, right? Like, whoops, we thought this was going to be better, and then nutritionally it was kind of a, a train wreck. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm not being super I can't positive. Imagine McDonald's is spending precious R&D worrying about the, the muscle heads, muscle pro- protein synthetic response of their new veggie burger versus a Big Mac. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, forget muscle heads, even just, you know, maintaining healthy person's muscle tissue, you know, it's going to be, it just pushes people to have to consume either more or a wider variety, right, of of plant proteins. It's just not as simple as, yay, plants. Um, So we'll see. I don't know. Um, You're going to try one, Phil or Sam? I'm good. You're good? (laughs) You didn't kill it yourself, so you're not going to eat it? Exactly. (laughs) I need to see its face. <laughs> I, it's so interesting to watch the hype cycle around health foods. Um, I'm at my parents' house currently, and so they have cable or satellite. And uh, I haven't had satellite TV in years. <clears throat> and to watch them watch like CNN, to watch the ad, like non-personalized ad sets, but the health food ones that you see and the messaging is just like, holy crap, I forgot there was a fat loss world to the fitness world and that they're not the same thing right even the nasm trainer coming out brand new is going to be a little bit more lifting oriented than like what they're seeing on apple cider gummies and take this gummy it helps you block fat and eat this thing it helps you do this and the plant thing it's pretty interesting just to watch i'm 34 and to watch how many people have adopted it and like everybody likes to think that they can do one small thing that is very low barrier to entry, really easy, that allows them to feel like they're doing <clears throat> what they can, right, without actually putting effort in. And uh, I think that's just so much, you know, obviously that's where it is, right, in terms of how many calories you get for the amount of expenditure you have to do for that food. But, like, you know, I grew up, I'm living in the, at the base of Mount St. Helens, and so my, we live on five acres of land, and uh, my dad and I are talking about putting a Pico Hydro system in to help us stay off the grid, and uh, just looking at, you know, we talked quite a bit, you know, growing up, it was a scavenger survival training as a kid. And it was, okay, we're hiking. Okay, you have, uh, you're stuck here for a week. How do you survive? Go. And it's like, man, plants, I mean, they'll keep you alive, right? Like you for sure, if you're hiking out in the woods and the mountains, you're lost. Like a plants are fine. They'll help you, right? But you ideally don't want that, right? Even a rabbit's going to be okay for a little bit. But then we get into talking about like Lewis and Clark and how they cross over. And imagine them going from like the Midwest Plains and scarcely getting protein from uh like buffalo to then getting over here to the west coast in the columbia river gorge and just eating like you're watching the indians eat bountiful amounts of salmon and elk and venison every day right and like how much different their lives were for the western coast indians versus the central plain indians just based on food allowances alone so i just look at you know 
the plant thing is so interesting and I think it's going to take off because it's so simple and we have such a resilience problem in this world on how much tolerance people are willing to put into working and achieving X. But the idea of McDonald's making it right now, you can have a highly satiety or high, highly satiric, however you say that, uh, version of a plant burger. I mean, oh my gosh, the amount of friends I have friends. I went to a private Catholic college and the amount of friends I have that have doctor parents and whatever, who are like on this wagon, right? I get messages all the time about, hey, is this okay? What do you think? It's like, it's better than what you were doing, right? Like, yeah. at least you're making a decision towards improvement towards your health. But if I had to choose between you doing that and nothing, eh, well, this is better, right? It's like the Planet Fitness person who eats pizza three times a week when they go to Planet Fitness. Well, at least they walked on the treadmill for a week and, you know, it's not going to last forever, but yeah, the the plant. I think it's gonna take off, right? I think McDonald's is gonna carry it because now you can have, well, if you know, given the decision that soccer mom, right? I hate to say it, soccer mom, soccer dad, right? Going through the drive-through, soccer practice and work and all the things, and it's like, well, the plant burger is just as cheap and it has quote unquote just as much protein, which all these experts say I'm supposed to be eating, and it seems like it's better for the environment. Like, how am I not gonna give that to my kid, right? Like. You start hitting on that button, I think McDonald's wins the game. And I hope people don't hear that and take that. But you know what I mean? I think that's where they just win it. Actually, Sam, fat and salt game. It, yeah. it's a good point about kids because, you know, Mike's talking about muscle heads. You, you think about the growth needs of children, you know. And it's just I just find it mm -hmm. ironic that you're actually from a nutritional quality standpoint. And I'm mm -hmm. talking about actual protein scales of quality probably worse <laughs> than yeah. than before and then i think about what phil you, you've done all those years is you'll go right purposely right for the dirt cheap breaded mayo slopped chicken sandwich and just pile them in because they're so you know <laughs> calorigenic Calorie. yeah yep. and so there's you're not under any delusions because you're mm -hmm. you're sort of using and abusing these otherwise problems in the system right but well, it's freaking mcdonald's i know i'm not getting anything healthy right yeah I mean, <laughs> no matter what i choose in a sense so. i mean but you know you're talking about yeah. something that's probably not the highest uh quality from a nutritional yeah. perspective uh it loaded with calories highly processed all that kind of stuff and i just I, the irony is dripping for me that people then will be making this choice that it's it's the, a healthy choice when I just want to see the numbers. I'm not saying it's not. I don't want to get sued by McDonald's. Maybe these are going to be substantially better in some way. Um, you would think plant-based, it would be lower in fat or something else, but right now I'm doubting it. So Yeah, because we'll, they got to we'll make see. it taste good. They know they're not going to sell any of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, remember the um, – what were the vegetable burgers McDonald's had for a while and they, they got rid of? Do you remember uh, – not the McLean – they had a veggie one for a while. I can't recall. Oh, that was a long time ago you're talking about, right? Yeah, long ago. Yeah. I and can't it just didn't what the hell it was. just didn't work. Um and, and I don't think the lean ones did either. Um probably but, like but yeah, sauce. I don't have sales figures or anything like that. It, it's just it's just an interesting <laughs> it's interesting, right, to me that they're gonna roll it out and it's just the fad is going to get a hold of it like it did with so many other things. Like I said, the 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 people that were obsessively avoiding gluten or I mean, you go down the list, you know, and there's some truth to each one of these. It's just that everybody embraces them. Lots of people not even knowing why they haven't really thought about it very much anyway. Uh, but yeah, but that's all I've got. I just thought that was interesting. Be interesting to see. <laughs> and we've got our guest today, Sam Pogue. 
And we're just going to do a couple, like five minutes or so. And Sam's going to give us some info on his background. And then we're going to get into the topic of the day, which is discussing overload <clears throat> in all its forms and maybe some different ideas of, of how you can apply it. So, yeah, thanks for being here, Sam. And yeah, give us a few minute rundown on kind of your, your origin story of how you got into fitness and what you're doing right now. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, really happy to be here. Uh, I'm actually a really happily proud uh, uh, extreme human performance client with uh, Dr. Mike, and, and yeah. I love that process. And which isn't the only um, reason. Just been a great friend of his over the years, or he's been <laughs> a great friend of mine. <laughs> but you know, it's been a really interesting process to get to know him over the last six. My training changed as well. So I got into this, you know, in 2000, graduated from college, you know, business. Uh, thought I'd go work at Nike, and there was a recession and couldn't get a job and was forced into selling memberships at 24-Hour Fitness and had a really crappy attitude around it, right? Super overemployed for what I was doing and uh, finally decided to get a better attitude around it and figure I should learn something while I'm there and started hanging out with the trainers. And, and thankfully, my first introduction to fitness was um, lifting, right? And so Tony Gracia, uh, who owns Industrial Strength in Portland, you know, was like putting me in front of like... Uh, uh, Wendler and Ripito and, and DeFranco and, and putting a barbell in my hands and pushed me into competing in powerlifting and, and strongman person and, and Olympic weightlifting. So early in my experience into fitness, like I played sports growing up, baseball, tennis, but like I wasn't like crushing pushups in the living room just to get bigger. Uh, and I say that because I was a hyper under uh, late bloomer, young, young, undersized athlete. Uh, and so I was fundamental, fundamentally like good athletically. I just wasn't like big and strong. Uh, like I was 116 pounds when I was 16. Um, and so by the time I got into after college, I gained a bunch of weight, both good ways and bad ways. I did crew for three years or four years uh, and then also drank a lot of beer. And so got up to like 230 pounds and I'm 5'7". So uh, was not in a good 230 right like it wasn't that i was jacked and so you know started getting stronger and realizing that when you're built like a south park character uh uh sagittal plane loading is actually really beneficial right like I was, oh you're actually a pretty good squatter right and i was like oh that's nice to not be the weakest guy in the room mm -hmm. uh and so it was like able to uh kind of feed into that it was fun right and and obviously i you know i really wish everybody would learn take at least do one powerlifting meet in their life but to learn that experience and you know, as I've been looking at this, and I talked to Mike about this overload concept, because as I mentioned, I'm back home and I work out in my garage a lot and I just have a handful of kettlebells. My dad and I built a, a cable system that we can use, but he'll like ask me about like what I'm doing and why, and because he's not a fitness person. And so as I thought about how I would explain what I'm doing to him, you know, we grew up building stuff out of wood, right? And, and building stuff around the house and decks and building the house and and so I understood that he knew mechanical stress, right? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, think about this lever arm. And if I got a big old heavy weight out here and uh, I try to move it, right, it's obviously going to change the fulcrum and it's going to maybe change the stress point. He's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, now just think of me instead of have to, like, uh, screw another board there to make reinforce that joint structure, I can, like, build it with muscle by lifting this weight in this pattern. Oh, that makes sense. And it just, like, to give him such a simplistic overview in that way that he understood was, like, that is what we're doing, right? Like, I... And I say I got away from that a little bit because going through powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, it was all about mechanical stress, progressive overload, linear periodization, conjugate system, whatever the terms we were using back in 2008, nine, right? And especially for me at 24-hour fitness level. And, uh, you know, later I ended up coming back and becoming a trainer at 24 and, and doing that game for a while and, uh, you know, took advantage of it, being a highly sales development career. 
um, and you know, I was looking for a new path and picked my life up and moved from Portland, Oregon to Austin, Texas on a whim and uh, ended up becoming the very first member of the On It Gym uh, in Austin, Texas because they merged with this guy named Joe DeFranco. And Joe was one of my favorite coaches growing up uh, in the in the industry. So I was like, well, how serendipitous. I moved to this new city and he this guy's starting a gym here. I should go there. And so walk in the door and start lifting. And, uh, you know, if you guys are familiar with On It, you see these, uh, yeah, the monkey face kettlebells and kettlebells and, but they had clubs and maces and sandbags. And for me coming from a barbell world, I was like, what is this stupid crap? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what this is and why I would use it. And so thankfully, my introduction to On It was John Wolf. And John is built like me, only exponentially stronger. And uh, there was a day, like, you know, I'm like the only member in there sometimes. So it's like people, you bullshit with people. And I was in there, I was sitting like 385 for sets of five on a back squat day. And John walks out. He's like, hey, man, what are you up to today? And I'm like, oh, just getting some squats in. He's like, damn, I haven't been under a barbell in years. Let me try that. Gets his butt under it, no warm-up. Hits two, a double for ass or grass and then slaps me on the butt and walks away. And I was like, what the F just happened, right? Like, I have to warm up, do my CNS charge, do all these, like, prehab, rehab things, right? And then he just comes in and walks in cold and does it. What the, what just happened? And then I'm doing some rows one day and he comes up and he's like, hey, try this on my rows. And like, like my scap just didn't glide off my my rib cage, right? Like I had no movement in my serratus. And so it was just all like a little bit of lat and a lot of bicep and forearm. And he's like, oh, let's see if we can, you know, change your base of support and see if we can get this to move. And I was like, oh my God, this, like my shoulder blades don't move at all, right? And so introducing, getting introduced to like clubs and maces and to like that patterning and how it can be an assistance exercise to what I'm already measuring as a success measurement, which is the barbell lifting. And was like, oh, okay, I can see where it has value. It's not trying to replace these things, but it also plays by those mechanics in terms of, hey, if I'm just trying to create better uh, tension, right, which is the same reason why I might choose a single arm dumbbell uh, incline press to create tension in that uh, anterior sling, right? Like I can get that from a standing press with a club, a really heavy club, and I have to charge that line really hard too. So, oh, all right, I'm just getting a different pattern, different stimulus. All right, that's fine. And so later coming on board to work on it, uh, helping them run the certifications, later coming on board to help teach and, and do over about 100 certifications over the course of four years. Uh, and I also jumped into the biz dev partnership world, bringing in partnerships with Exos, Equinox, Gold's Gym, UCLA Football, uh, and then getting a handful of athletes to work with. Uh, Jake Arrieta, Cy Young Award winner, World Series champ with the Cubs. Uh, and so it just kind of gave me this unique world of fitness for someone that came into it from a weekend cert guy at 24 hour fitness getting to get dropped into on it but because of on its magnitude and its captivation i guess we'll say and having a facility uh part of my strategy was like getting uh hyper invested consumers to come through the experiential model of on it which is the gym and so how can i do that well let me bring in experts like mike to teach workshops who already has have an existing audience of fitness people to come in and now like when you walk into this gym you're like holy crap Right. We had uh, John Rustin and Christian Thibodeau in and we're all walking into the gym and this kid like looks at Johnny goes, is this how every fitness seminar is? And I'm like, he's like, absolutely not. Most <laughs> of the time we're like a CrossFit box. Right. Like it's like 20 foot ceilings, huge posters of Rogan and Michelle Waterson and Earl Thomas, all these athletes. You'll see Lance Armstrong and uh, freaking a bunch of athletes hanging out in there. And it's just like a wild experience to walk in. And so. It also, that meant it allowed me to start taking a rapid amount of education, you know, uh, from Mike and uh, RPR and FRC and John Russin's work and Thibodeau and Joe and all these people. And for someone that wasn't trying to, I, I guess, 
I was getting to take courses from a pure interest level of just like, wow, that's really interesting. That's, and But constantly getting my beliefs challenged because someone's going to say something that kind of disrupts something you just heard. But yeah. then being able to also pull and um, and get, you know, a, a good, you know, through line of perspective that everything is uh, got a valuable asset of information. And so as it's like, it was just a really interesting world of on it to get exposed to how much information was out there in the fitness industry away from what we're all trying to grab, right? And I think that I just have an interesting view from it coming from not coming from a hard science major background and taking a weekend workshop to trying to figure out what's going on, right? Like you guys mentioned the gluten thing, like, hey man, I jumped on that. And like, I think it, I, I think that it applies so much the way fitness products, information and supplements, they, they rely on the hype cycle really heavily and they just target um, rational thinking. Like it makes sense, right? Like in theory, if you, I, I don't know, I'm not to you guys because you're such high level scientists, but to the everyday person, like it makes sense. Like, oh, I should eat more vegetables. So then in turn it becomes, I should eat more vegetables and that's probably more important than me eating some protein. And it's like, well, maybe protein's like the one thing that we don't get enough of. Like we're the only animal that has, has that solved. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it became a very interesting game to start looking at like, wow, what am I learning? And what are, what are, what's the general fitness knowledge? Right. Cause I kind of get just stuck in both worlds. Like I didn't come through like really having a hyper defined understanding of how carbohydrates break down. Like, yeah, I took a nutrition course. Yeah. I've taken a, quite a few certs, but like, honestly, until Metflex, it was like, Oh, that makes way more sense. <laughs> right. And like, even, and then experiencing it in the same time of going through this hyper volume based training, which for me, right. I had a lot of go, I can lift a fair amount, but like, Oh man, you put me under more than four sets. Maybe I'm getting tanked and like ask me to do it faster. <laughs> definitely getting my ass tanked and for weeks and it was like what the hell is going on right and it's like you know like it was interesting like what i found the most interesting was that doing that cooper run test in the beginning was like i tested in, the, in a good score right like i'm not yeah. an aerobic athlete i am not and i'm like yeah I'm, my aerobic pace isn't shit like i'm not an awful like i'm not fast but it's not terrible and it was like what the hell and then now i it's been interesting doing this and just having I don't know. I think just a better picture of all of it. So um, I think that's why I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about maybe overload and this process because I thought or think maybe it's a piece that is missing and is, does it solve a lot of things, right? Because, you know, exercises are exercises. And yeah, you know, we choose them. They're great. We choose them for a reason. But like it also, it, it doesn't matter to a certain degree, right? They are just random things we assign and give names to. Uh, but we are measuring how much you know, stress they're exhibiting and how much rest we're getting and what the recovery, what the adaptation is. And so for a lot of people, is this a thing that we can just, is this the holistic message that I keep coming back to, I think is maybe the linchpin. I don't know, but yeah, really interesting. I'm just a guy that came from not in fitness that um, liked it like everybody else, played sports, did the thing, but um, went through the process of learning it and now have a career in it. And I, you know, I do coaching, I teach workshops and I do some consulting for brands because after I left on it, I went into an app called True Coach, which which uh, was for online coaching software. Uh, we got acquired and uh, now doing my own thing. So just a really interesting career, getting to meet really amazing people like these guys and uh, just learn a lot. And it's been something I really just love geeking out on as much as I can. Cool, that's awesome. 
Uh, we'll do a short break here, and then we'll get into the topic of the day, talking about all aspects of Overload. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners. After more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, in about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it <laughs> Hey, welcome back. Uh, this week we're talking to Sam Pogue uh, with Dr. Lonnie Lowry, Coach Phil Stevens, myself. And today we're talking about some of the different aspects, I would say, of overload. Right, so most people are probably familiar with just the standard progressive overload by adding weight to the bar, which works. And that's definitely what we want to do. But if everybody could add five pounds to their bench press each time they went into the gym, then... <laughs> People would be bench pressing four or 500 pounds everywhere, but uh, we know it's not really the case. So uh, how would you define overload or what kind of concepts related to that do you think about, Sam, beyond what is just kind of uh, progressive overload in terms of just adding weight to the bar? Yeah, you know, um, coming from that work, powerlifting, that was my early lens. And now, especially, you know, you work with more clients and realize that people are in very different situations. Uh, I'm consistently looking at ways to overload just even small 
other changes? Like, did I change the base of support? Did I change the tempo? Did I change the load input? Uh, and those are maybe some areas that maybe are not fully load um, to the absolute strength world of it. But then I want to start looking at, you know, stacking that volume. And that's something that Mike and I have really looked at is stacking additional sets, right? Like I kind of always looked at adding volume was like, oh, maybe I do 10 reps of this of Bulgarian split squats, and then I do 12 reps, and then I do 15 reps, and then I go heavier, right? And then I might do that for three to nine weeks, 12 weeks, and then I'm doing front for elevated lunges. But I'm never really pushing that capacity past maybe 15 reps, right? At three sets with X amount of rest. And as Mike's been stacking me with, you know, three sets, four sets, five sets, six sets, all with a different density, uh, uh, it's just been a really interesting way to look at, oh yeah, that is all overload. That is all a way to stimulate the system more. So man, I think my uh, view of it has just changed. Be curious to look at how you guys have looked at it uh, from your views past just the experience of training. Yeah, my bias, and then I'll ask Phil and Lonnie, is usually when I set up programs, I'll, I program in rep ranges, right? So if I say someone's doing a heavy dumbbell row in a six to eight rep range, and what I like to do is have them stay within that rep range for however long we're doing the program, four to eight weeks, and then I'll play around more with adding volume and different markers of density, and then as they get stronger, instead of like what Sam was saying, going outside of that uh, six to eight rep range, I'll just have them bump up the weight and stay within that range. And then maybe the following cycle, maybe we'll do an eight to 12 rep range. Right? So I tend to stay with the quality that I've sort of programmed. And then I'll add overload by increasing the weight a little bit or adding more and more volume to it. Um, do you do anything similar to that, Phil, or do you just kind of let if they're going outside of a rep range, you just keep adding reps to it or any process to that? Yeah, it goes all over the place. It depends on yeah. the exercise selection and everything else. Um, there's times where it's like uh, it could be even you know, four sets of 20 to 25. Um, just depends on what we're doing. But I, I generally go up. There's multiple ways we go up. It's not just adding weight. So usually over time, it's okay. We're adding reps, adding reps, adding reps, drop reps back down, add weight. So because, like you said, you just can't. I can't literally just add five pounds a week. Yeah. Uh, forever. <laughs> so generally, a lot of what I'll do is we'll add a total amount of reps for a certain amount of time to a said weight, and then weight goes up, reps go back down, run back up again. Uh, and we can run this for a lot longer time. We're not getting as as big of a stimulus change. You know, it's smaller and more incremental, but we can run it over time uh, longer. <laughs> you know, we just get more time of going up. So you don't run into that wall as soon. So, yeah, yeah it, it jumps all over the place. And then I do, of course, we add in buy-ups and things like that, which depends on the individual of the day, how much overload we're getting. If they're having a good day, they're earning themselves more overload. If they're having an average day, then they get what I prescribed. And then we also have, if they have bad days, you're walking away and you're not doing anything. You didn't earn yeah. the right to do it. So, yeah, it's it's, it's multifaceted, I guess. But uh, yeah, so. yeah. Do you have any preference on that, Lonnie? Do you tend to stay with a similar weight and try to add more volume over time? Or when do you try to increase the weight on it? Yeah, I guess my bias would be, I mean, sort of the textbook approach, you know, the students, when we talk about exercise prescription, 
they automatically gravitate toward intensity, right? More weight, higher percent of your one rep max over time. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I'm always reminding them you can overload frequency in days per week or duration, you know, or like you guys are talking about density. Personally, I've always liked sort of the undulating periodization approach, you know, where I do go heavier, lower rep, and then I'll cycle that with lighter, you know, more volume kinds of things. And mm-hmm. I know there's there's a lot of debate, right? Do you do you do this undulating the way I tend to like it? Because you know it just sort of spares my joints. My joints are beat up. I can't do a eight to twelve week mesocycle of brutal ninety percent loads. It's just not going to happen, right? So that's why I do that. I, I I know that classic undulating periodization would have more of a a moderate intensity, you know, day in between there, but. I find that that's kind of wasting my time, so I kind of go <laughs> go back and forth between heavy days and light days, um, always trying to increase something there. You know, maybe the heavy days I find myself after several weeks to Phil's point, I'm getting two to four more reps. I don't know. Let's say with eighty pound dumbbells, I'm like, well, you know, mm-hmm. time to go eighty fives. Um, yeah, and, and I yeah. I kind of that's how I fold it. So there is a, a chronic linear upward trend even though I'm undulating. So just think about like a wavy line that is ascending as you go upward across the page. So that's me at least. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on density, Sam? We've had you do some interesting density work that's probably not very common to what you've done in the past. And my bias on that too is that that was one of the things I look at is a person's background, their history, what have they done, where do they want to go, and people are just, you know, humans are creatures of habit, right? So usually you'll find this big thing that's kind of a, a glaring hole where you're like, oh, if you want to get to this level, then, you know, let's focus a little bit more on this. And for you, I think that was kind of more density work and kind of aerobic base work. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the density conversation, right? Like, I'm not saying I was an anti-crossfitter. But I was definitely like, I didn't love the idea of just randomized snatches, right, for people coming from an Olympic lifter, right? And so uh, it was like, I didn't really, other than like, okay, you know, especially with my view coming from that 90s, 80s, 90s, 2000s powerlifting mentality was this training is going to make me a weak ass bitch, right? Mm -hmm. Like I might walk, right? I might pull the sled around a little bit, but like, uh, is that really something I need, right? Like, if I'm, if you know, compensatory, if I'm strong enough to move this, I should be strong enough to do that, right? And so getting introduced to it through a series of supersets, really, is what we're doing, or maybe some tri-sets here and there, um, and not going into it without necessarily the goal of, like, speed, right? Like, yeah, we're tracking time, and I'm get, trying to get, improve that moniker, that marker of time, but, like, the goal isn't to, like, rush, right? And I think that yeah. was compared to like people who do spin or um, CrossFit, right? Where density is like, it's winning the game. And it's like, oh, is your friend time getting better? And, and it's like, this was so progressive over time, right? We're in a block for six, seven, eight weeks at a time, depending on how much volume I can take during the circuit. And to consistently be reintroduced to it and the familiarity of exercises, right? We're doing the same five, six movements or same six days of exercises through week. And to continually just watch it get better, right? And to have like a clear identifiable marker because it's the same workout and it's all familiar things. And you can watch like like we're in the second week or the density week of week three right now. 
And like last week, oh my god, an L set pull up smashed me. My abs were like so sore the next day. I was like, oh, <laughs> man, that kind of sucks, right? Like, and just because I don't do it that often. But like today, I did it yesterday. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine, right? Feeling better. And it was like, oh yeah, okay, just you know, getting multiple weeks of that same pattern in. There were three days a week of pulling up, doing pull ups, um, just overloading that system. And I think it's such a different way to approach um, the volume game, right? Like. I don't know. And I'd like to think that I didn't have a far off perspective of how training should have been dosed. But I don't know, Mike, it was just, it was just a really different way for us to start looking at training. Right. Like for me, man, I might do the same six movements like, you know, I'm a West Side kind of guy. So it's like you're changing, you know, your main lift every week, if not every other couple of weeks. You know, I'm not traditional, always West Side kind of thing. But, you know, it's OK, I'm going to do horizontal pressing and dumbbell pressing and uh, incline and yada, yada. And so it's kind of the same skew of stuff. And it kind of just rotates, right? I'll go from Bulgarians to front for elevated to reverse lunges to Hatfield to yada, yada. And here we're just stacking pretty simplistic things. So they only have like nine kettlebells, six kettlebells, and just stacking volume and to see how my body tolerates it, right? Um, having a lot of go in the first like couple weeks where it's like, oh man, it takes me like 15 minutes to get through the three rounds. And then usually like week five is like smashes me, right? The first week five is mm-hmm. like, wow, that was like 35 minutes uh those last two sets really sucked and then the next week is like oh okay that was better that was like 22 minutes but it was it i think just the familiarity i think just the uh, i don't know how if i'm running how i'm trying to introduce this but it was i i don't know where people are not getting that or maybe i just didn't get it coming from my background um phil i'd be curious since i mean you're powerlifting right did you say you powerlifted i'm sorry if i didn't i'm just guessing off the picture i'm looking at in your skype screen but what you're looking at it from and how you saw it coming in too mike i know you powerlifted uh but yeah i just i didn't do it over a, a lot of volume in the way i trained so uh it's such a new perspective i guess and how i've been stacked yeah i mean my perspective and i'll grab phil Bonnie's too is that i think you're always running I think you can change lifts rather frequently if you're more advanced, but tracking becomes a little bit tricky to see if you're actually making progress. Um, and I think also what I realized is by having exercises that are still familiar, and we did a four-day study in Costa Rica that we we're working on publishing. In short, we, did, we had more advanced lifters come in, just kind of brutalized them for two hours of lifting. And they came in on Monday, they did that. And then Tuesday, they came back and did the exact same thing. And then Wednesday, they did the same thing. And then Thursday, they did the same thing again. And what we saw is even in more advanced lifters was on some of the accessory stuff, uh, they actually were still getting better, which I was pretty Mm. kind of shocked at. I would have thought those would have dropped off pretty hard. Um, But again, because they have to come down to that facility, the cable machine's probably a little bit different. I think there's a little bit of slight variation that maybe they weren't used to. And so I've noticed by programming similar things over and over, especially week to week, one, people can see progress or we know if they're not making progress, then we need to change. And then they get familiarity with the exercise. And I think it takes longer to get more familiar with an exercise to the point where it's not as useful. I think you can do a lot more similar work than I ever thought you could in the past. The caveat is you got to watch out for overuse mm. injuries and people just getting bored out of their skull. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Phil? No, it's, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, it's, if we're going to change exercises, I usually run in at least a three to four week cycle. 
yeah. before we'll change something because it takes a minute, even for an advanced lifter. Let's say we haven't done this. I don't know. We're doing safety squat bar box squats. He's done those a thousand times, but it's been six months. Yeah. You know, even then, it's going to take a minute to get your feet under you, you know, and get going again. He's not going to look like a complete idiot on day one, but uh, they're going to get better over the weeks. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely do a lot. And then as far as density stuff, uh, we do a lot of uh, how much work can you get done in this amount of time? Okay. Mm -hmm. Next week, let's try it again. Um, And that'll go away. It depends on my athletes. Like my strongman people do that year round. Um, They need to. (laughs) My powerlifters and stuff, that'll wane off like we're a week and we're a week out from a meet right now. So we're not doing that. <laughs> That's yeah. not our job right now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it depends on the, the athlete and what we're getting prepared for. So, do you tend to go with similar exercises a fair amount, Lonnie, or how often do you know when to kind of rotate something new in? Yeah, well, <laughs> Since the century plague, I have limited options at home, you know. I mean, well, let's face it. It's not that limited. You've got uprights and a barbell. You can do quite a lot of different things. Um, But once I head back to Pep's gym, which is going to be sooner than later here because of vaccines and whatnot. uh, And I know people have different opinions on that stuff. But um, that'll be a... I'll reopen all this variety that I hadn't had, you know, the hammer strength machines and all the Mm -hmm. kind of stuff that I might do. I do think the density stuff, you have to be careful from, I mean, my lens has been bodybuilding, right? So if you preach to bodybuilders, get more work in, in less time, they're already prone to destroying themselves, (laughs) you know, destroy your pegs, annihilate your delts. And, and instead I think forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it just over time, maybe, uh, to Phil's point, it really depends where you are in the year. You know, if you're in a heavy, if it's November and you're in a heavy bulking cycle, I don't feel you do this opposite kind of, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe you do more rest between sets. You know, you go heavy, uh, you leave the gym with a little bit in the tank, you know, you're not exhausting yourself. So I think it, it depends on the population, right? Because you could mm-hmm. be preaching density. Like I said, it's almost like preaching diet logging to someone with anorexia nervosa. I don't know if I want to do that, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, they're yeah. already obsessing over that. They're already doing too much of that. Um, yeah. So, you know, population specificity, I guess, is the, what, I, what I'm trying to say. Sure. Yeah, I can tell you this, though. You take an elite power lifter and elite Olympic lifter, they stand around a lot. We get real good at we get real good at resting, and uh, like my new people, they're like, "What do I do next? What do I do next?" And uh, you know, it's my higher level guys. Like, okay, guys, I know it sucks, but we got to do this. You know, so it's off season. You can't make it up four stairs without dying. So it's time to time to build something. Right? No doubt. So, no doubt. Yeah, and that's a, obviously a specificity too, right? You, you know, both sports, you're trying to take a very heavy ass load and lift it once, right? Yeah. You're not having to do strongman where it may be a medley that may be forty to sixty seconds of continuous heavy work, you know. So it's different ends of the spectrum too. For sure, but I mean that said, if you even look at like some of the old West Side stuff and things, and you know, you have to. People don't understand the the shape you need to be in. To just finish a workout. Yeah. 
just to have <laughs> just, like, volume. Okay, we got to do this. And like, there'll be people coming to train with us, and we get a pretty quick pace when I get going with my training partners. It's like, wow, the bar went from 135 to 700 in like 20 minutes. What are you guys doing? And like, yeah, now we're going to death. Now we're going to this. And they're like, I'm done. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So, and they're just, I'm done. You got to have some kind of shape for that. Oh, you do. You know, I'm I'm not in a marathon runner or anything, but a lot of people aren't even in shape to finish a hard workout, a really hard workout. Mike, so Mike, you've done that, yeah. haven't you? I know I have. Like you, you realize, oh my god, my aerobic base is shit. You know, I can't yeah. even. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I did that a few years. Oh man, when I left the med tech industry, I remember. Yeah, it was when I was. It was a year before I did the uh, strongman comps. It was 2013. <laughs> And I was like, I'm just going to, you know, add weight, just see how heavy I can get. I'm going to probably do a strongman meet. Ah, I'm nine months out from it. I don't have to worry about conditioning. And so I just started, you know, upping calories. Didn't do any aerobic stuff for months on end. Initially, training felt good. And then training started to suck. And then it really started to suck. And then I realized walking into work one day, I went up two flights of stairs with a backpack and a cooler. And I had to stop and, like, catch my breath. And I'm like what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and then I looked at my training and I'm like, I went from 235 to 245. And my lifts didn't go up any faster than they had before. I don't think I gained that much more muscle. I just got fat and out of shape. And I'm like, okay, I'm never letting my aerobic base get that low where I get defeated by like two flights of stairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And I know you're aerobic based when we started, Sam, if we did like a Cooper run test or you can do a two can a rower, um, it was pretty good. It wasn't like yeah, amazing, but it was pretty good. It was actually higher than what I thought. But I think in, in your case, too, that was <laughs> missing, <laughs> um, just missing some of the aerobic kind of density stuff we're doing. If you want to talk about the stuff I stole from my buddy Cal Dietz on just aerobic conditioning, because you also may be useful for the listeners since you have kind of limited equipment there. And a lot of people listening to this may be still at home with limited equipment too. Yeah. Uh, so I don't like, I, I don't love to run. Uh, if it's nice weather out and maybe there's something to run behind and run, you know, maybe, you know, incentivize me to run, I'll, I'll run. Um, but in the winter when it's raining and cold or if I live like where Mike lives in Minnesota, like I'm not running in the snow. Like I'm not a hardcore person. <laughs> and so I was like, can we, and I don't have a rower. So I was like, can we find something that's not me running outside? And I also live like my driveway is a 15% grade right off the bat. So it's like, there's, it's only mountains and hills. So it's not like I get to go jog around a lake. And so I built a, uh, a all my kettlebells were on the ground. My dad's like, I keep kicking them. So I built a little cart instead of a recycled wood around the house, threw some caster wheels on it. Uh, and so now I have a modular little cart for my kettlebells and some plates and stuff. And in the center beam of our driveway, we have a big old center beam that supports the upper story of the house. And I just put a, 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 a toggle bolt in there and uh, some eye hooks and uh, put a couple pulleys, uh, a pulley on my cart, and then hung a pulley from a carabiner on the top and just a cable straight down. And so now I have a, ca- a horizontal cable pulley system because uh, it's you know anchored at the top and then that cable goes down and holds a kettlebell or a weight and then the other end of the cable goes down through the cart uh, and then uh, straight out for me to have a cable pull and so we do this contralateral circuit where I'm doing like reverse lunges step ups some uh, single leg RDLs and some rows and for me it you know we started off just doing 12 minutes nasal breathing uh, just as a, a governor to keep me from trying to win the workout which I 
I would do. And uh, also I'm doing a lot of upper airway work. And so that kind of works in conjunction, but I was only able to get like three sets in 12 minutes. And, and as we do it, you know, I do it every day or five days a week. Um, and as we've gone, we're like on what, nine, six, nine weeks, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, but it's been fun because I get to do the same exact movements. And uh, I typically fasted in the morning. It's first early in the morning. And, um, you know, now I'm up to six sets in 16 minutes. And it's been such a, a, a nice, like, objective objective view of my aerobic system getting better or my capacity getting better. Whereas, like, man, my, my, me running, it always sucks, right? Like, it might be nice out. It feels good. I'm sweating, you know. But, like... <laughs> A mile in, it always oh, still sucks. And so, but this is like, oh, wow. Four, oh, I'm cruising through four sets. I'm not even noticing. And I don't know. I'd be curious to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Is it possible to, I hate to sound so douchey about this, feel the fuel switching? I feel like, you know, when, let's say I'm at, because uh, I'm nasal breathing, right? And I get to my fifth set. And it's like, okay, sometimes I'm getting through five sets. Sometimes I'm getting through six sets. And it's like, man, I'm just like kind of hitting a wall. I'm like, oh, my reps all of a sudden get really hard. I'm really tired. Uh, and is that just purely, right? Like I, I pump through that uh, glycogen store and now I'm like trying to switch during the movement. I don't I don't know what that is physiologically, but it's been interesting watching my capacity get better doing this circuit because I get to have the same thing every single day to feedback off of. That's not that hard in 20 pound rows and 10 pound step ups um, and have a unique way to challenge my system and have measurable results each day on how it feels yeah i mean what i've noticed with uh lifters like sam who you know very strong very good sagittal plane movement most stuff tended to be on the higher intensity end of the spectrum that a lot of times they're missing that lower gear you know can you do light cable work can you do it more at a constant kind of pace but have it be you know definitely sub threshold and I think when your aerobic base is overall lower, I think the part that people forget is that there's a lot of aerobic contribution to, quote, anaerobic exercise, in air quotes, or higher intensity work. All right, so I have a MOXIE device, so this device that looks at muscle oxygenation use. You stick it over a muscle, and I got on the rower and just did 30 seconds, pretty hard, like kind of like a Wingate-type style. And even with starting at like 15 seconds in, you can see that the muscle is starting to be severely depleted of oxygen. By the end of the 30 seconds, the oxygen percentage was down from starting around 80, was down to around 10%. So even during a 30 second high output thing that everybody is classically taught is an anaerobic only event, you're really using a ton of the aerobic system at the same time. And now what I've seen is when you add uh, fatigue and you add volume on that, the more and more you do, the sort of closer you get towards the end of the workout, uh, the percentage-wise, that's even more aerobic, um, kind of that in, endurance-y kind of base system. So I've just found that if people missing that low gear aerobic base, they tend to, like Phil was saying, not be able to do the volume of training to even uh, get through it and doing some specific work on the, the lower end seems to help. Right. You know, the the classic definition of intensity is percent of maximum. And what a tragedy right. if you can't get in enough volume to grow. Like you can't do that fourth or fifth set of 
you know, 85% of your one rep max because you're, you've been humming along at 90% of your like max heart rate or VO2 max, yeah. right? <laughs> so the aerobic side, you're at a high intensity, but still embarrassing. <laughs> and yeah. so you got to get that base in there. You're not going to be able to supply uh, enough, enough, right? Um, high yeah. intensity muscle work, I think. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your time today, Sam. We really appreciate it. Uh, let us know where we can get more information about you and give us uh, info on what you're up to right now. Yeah, you can uh, head over to my website, sampogue.com, O-G-U-E. Uh, Instagram's a good spot, S-P-O-G-U-E-8-6. Um, launching a mentorship tomorrow, trying to help uh, young early trainers get bridge that gap from getting their certification to feeling comfortable programming and training clients, uh, and uh, hopefully expose them to a world of where should they start taking their careers, who should they be following, right? How do we get you know you guys in front of them earlier in their careers so that way they're not being led down the wrong path? And I feel so fortunate in the people I've got to mentor and work with, like uh, Dr. Mike and. Um, just hope that more people get those influences in their careers as I have. Yeah. And I would highly recommend Sam's stuff, especially in the area of just networking and communication beyond just obviously the good skills he has in training and programming from all the certifications and everything that he does an exceptional job with that without being the slimy used car salesman. Cause anytime you mention <laughs> networking to new trainers, they just think, Oh, this sounds like just a horrible sales, horrible idea, but you can do it in an actual honest and authentic way that not only works, but you're actually building friendships with people the, the correct way. Cause I, I don't know. I don't like the word networking. It just sounds kind of slimy to me, but people <laughs> understand what it means. You've always said that, Mike, I get what you're saying. Uh, it, it, does yeah. kind of be, it does it does border on smarmy with some people yeah you know, because they're some not people authentic. where you're just like you're only interested because you want x y or z and it just seems too obvious yeah. <laughs> it's insulting if you have, have a brain right it insults your intelligence when you're approached like that yeah yeah, yeah. cool yeah. awesome well thank you guys very much really appreciate it i'd encourage people to check out sam's stuff and we will talk to you all next week everybody Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.